Remember this song? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you I want to see you so I'm going to ask you a question right now is that the cry of your heart is that what occupies your mind on a regular day basis? Is it what you have in your heart right now? Lord, I just want to see you today. I need to see you today. I'm desperate to see you today. I need you to show up in my life in this way and take care of this thing. I need you to show up in my life and work on this person that I'm helping and I'm trying to help. I need you to show up I need you to bring comfort. I need you to bring help. I need to see you today. Is that what you've come in here with? Are you hungry for that today? Is it the cry of your heart to see the Lord? If the answer is yes, then what Jesus is going to say to you is then purify your heart. Purify your heart. That's what's required of those who will see God is to have a pure heart. It's a solemn moment right now, but it is totally fitting for a solemn and incredibly important subject that we're going to be talking about today. So I guess I have another question for you. Are you ready to get to work? Are you ready to get to work and try to understand what it is to see God and try to understand what it is to purify our hearts? Let me ask God's help with that today, okay? Lord, we just ask you um, to help us. We we truly want to, we're here because we want to see you, Lord. That's That's just the reality of it, but our hearts are tricky, our Our hearts are deceptive, and um, we need you, Holy Spirit, to work. You, You have promised that you're here right now. You're in our presence, Lord, 
And so we ask you by your spirit to move in us and to change us and to open our hearts to what we need to work on so that we can see you better. And that's our goal today. So help us to that end. And I pray that you'll be glorified in what you see happening in our hearts today as a congregation of people that love you and want to see you. Help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, everybody. And um, what a great time of worship we've had so far speaking to the Lord. And we're in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue on our study of blessings from the mountain. And we're in verse 8 of this. We're six weeks in. And uh, we're just getting started. And we're in verse 8. This says this, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Actually, if you were to read this in the original language, this is what it would sound like. Extremely happy are the pure in heart, for they, and don't miss this part, for they and they alone will see God. So, Here's what Jesus is saying. Do you want to see God? You all said yes. So you're all in, right? You're all in. Then you have to be pure in heart. You have to be pure in heart. Only the pure in heart. They and they alone will see God. So I'm going to work on two questions today. And the first question is this. What is it to see God? Let's work on that first. And then we're going to work on our hearts. Okay? Well, the first thing that it is, is to have admission into his presence. It's important that we start here, because you can't see God unless he allows you to come into his presence to see him. Somehow he's got to open up the portal to give you the opportunity to walk into the Holy of Holies, and for you to walk into his presence. You have to be admitted into his presence, and that happens at salvation. Here's, here's some salvation Um, reality, before we find Christ by faith, the scripture tells us that you come to Christ by grace through faith alone, okay? So before we find Christ by faith, you and I, everyone in the world has a fundamental problem. We can't see God. Did you know that you can't just decide one day I think I'm gonna go see God. I think I'm gonna go find God. Did you know that you'll never find him? You'll never see him because you have a fundamental problem. In our sin, before we come to Christ, we are blind to all things God. Actually, two things are going on before we come to faith in Jesus. Satan has got an issue with you. Satan is doing something with you and your sin is doing something with you. Satan and sin blinds us to everything that is of righteousness and it separates from us from the truth of the gospel. Let me show you something. I'm gonna have it on the screen. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this. Satan, who is the God of this world, and don't miss the language here. Okay, listen carefully to the words chosen. Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Do you notice it doesn't say has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe? 
Where is he blinding you? Before you come to Christ, he's blinding your mind so that you are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. Those who don't know the Lord and are blinded, they don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You wanna see God, you have to see Jesus. But they can't see God because they can't see Jesus. And they can't see Jesus because they can't see the glorious light of the gospel. And they can't see the glorious light of the gospel because Satan has their eyes blinded because of their sinful state. That is what is actively at work in a person who does not believe yet, who has not put their faith in Christ yet. You can't come to God. Romans 3.23 is obvious. Excuse me, one second. You all know it. If you've been in church at all, you've you've had this memorized for years. But this is the foundational reality of someone who doesn't know Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because of our sin and because of the work Satan is doing to keep you blinded to the reality of what is available to you, you can see God, but you can't see God You can't get to God. You fall short from getting to God. You you cannot access God. You can't access his throne room. You can't come to him unless you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and unless your heart is transformed and purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me show you these glorious verses in Romans chapter five, verse one. Paul says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, there it is, it takes faith, by grace through faith alone, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. I wanna stop there and just make sure you understand, everyone listening understands, you don't do this on your own, you can't do this. In fact, the faith that it takes to believe has been given to you. By faith, it is by grace through faith that you come to Jesus Christ and that faith is a gift of the Lord. It is the work done by Jesus Christ on our behalf that gives us a right standing with God. Because of our faith, Christ Jesus has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Verse six, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, we can rejoice in our wonderful, get this now, new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Now you can see God. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, we now have access to God's presence and we can come, the scripture says, boldly before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. Does anybody wanna shout hallelujah right now for that, that truth, that bit of truth right there? If you are in faith and you are in Christ, then you can see God. Because he has given you and granted you admission into his presence. That is a wonderful thing. Now, here's another way to see God while we're here on this earth. And and it's weird because, you know, you might be saying, well, hey, I thought nobody can see God, right? That's right, you can't. No one has seen God, but we can see God. 
No one can approach him, but we can boldly come before the throne of grace. What do you mean by that? Well, let me, let me show you about right now, those of us who are breathing, okay, <laughs> what, um, what we can do to see God. We can experience, on your notes, we can experience him in his glory. There's coming a day, and you guys um, don't, I shouldn't have even gone here. Don't get me started. Um, it's, it's, it's very soon. One person's excited about, <laughs> listen, Jesus is coming back. And if you've if you're got your eyes on the world at all, it's right around the corner. It is, it is we, that excites me. It excites, I told you, don't get me started. Don't get me started. Like, <laughs> yesterday, yesterday, a neighbor that I've only met one time is walking down the street with his dog and he, he stops me, I'm working in the yard and he stops me and he says, Hey, hey, I go, yeah, he goes, you want to talk about the end times? <laughs> don't, don't, I said, don't, I don't even know who, who you are in, in the world of politics or the world of biblical prophecy. I don't know where you are. I don't want to offend you, so maybe we shouldn't. He goes, no, let's go. And I, we stood there forever talking about it. <laughs> where am I? Oh, there, I totally lost my place. There is, there is coming a day very soon, very soon, when we will see God with our physical eyes. In fact, John puts it this way. We know that when Christ appears, we shall see him as he is. What a wonderful day that's going to be. But right now, hear me now, right now, virtually every spiritual sighting comes through the word of God. This is how we see God and the work of God. We see images of God and reflections of his glory right now as we experience him in the physical world. David actually, in the Psalms, he, he writes things like we see him in creation. We see him in the thundering lightning and the majestic mountains. We see him in the roaring of the seas and the vastness of the starry skies above. We see him in the hearts and the faces of other people who have been created in his image. We can actually see him in the faces of others and we see him in our circumstances. We see him in our triumphs, amen? And we see him in our troubles. Actually, Job, one of the, probably the man who suffered the most in this world, saw him in his pain, and in Job 42, this is what he writes, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. It was through the pain that he actually saw the Lord, and his response is, therefore I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes, which, by the way, is the proper response of anyone who truly sees God. He's made visible, the scripture tells us, by the work of his Holy Spirit. You wanna get into this a little bit? Look, look at John 14, verse 16. So before Jesus leaves the world, he has a meeting with his disciples, and this is what he says to them. He says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. That advocate actually means counselor. He will give you another counselor, an advocate, to help you and to be with you for how long? Forever. Forever. 
the spirit of truth. So he's promising the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna ask my Father and he's gonna give you my Holy Spirit who is going to counsel you and help you and be with you, how long? Forever. Now the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, okay? Why don't they accept him? Why can't they see him or know him? What have you learned already this morning? Because of their sin and, this, and the work of the devil, their minds and their hearts are blind to it. They can't see the glorious light of the gospel and they can't see the Lord Jesus Christ. They can't see him, they can't accept him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore because he was physical on the earth and they're gonna see him now. They're seeing me now, but before long, they're not gonna see me anymore. But this is glorious, my friends, but you will see me <laughs> because I live, you also will live, and I'm going to live in you in the form of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you're going to see me you're going to experience me. You're gonna understand who I am. Lord, I want to see you. Well, just spend some time with the Holy Spirit. Live in righteousness and let him work through you and you'll see the hand of God at work through you. That is a powerful thing. That is such an encouraging thing to be able to think that somebody like me could be touched by the Holy Spirit, could be called by God, by the Holy Spirit, and touched by the Holy Spirit of God, and gifted by the Holy Spirit of God in order to do something for the kingdom worthwhile, to do something for righteousness that is worthwhile, and be able to actually see the miraculous work of God through me by the work of the Holy Spirit, that is seeing God. And if you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't see any of that. That excites me. You want to see God? Live in the work of the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying this. You can see God. You can see him in part now and you will see him fully in the age to come. If and only if you're pure in heart. Larry, I'm really glad you just said amen. But that's a big if. If you're pure in heart, you wanna see God? You have to be pure in heart. You have to be pure in heart positionally, you have to be pure in heart at salvation, but you've got, if you wanna see God, if you wanna continue to experience him and see him before he returns, you gotta be pure in heart. Now, if you've been with us at all, you've heard me say, because I've said it every single time, and I'm probably gonna say it every single time in the future as, I, as we work on this, that the first thing we learn, especially about this beatitude, is that Jesus is more concerned about our hearts than he is about our behavior. I've told you this before. He's not giving us, the Sermon on the Mount is not a list of to-dos that if you check them off, then you'll be righteous. Mm-mm. He's giving you, he's trying to teach us how to think. And he's trying to change our hearts and the thinking of our hearts, knowing that if we can change the inside, then the outside will produce what he wants us to produce, which is fruits of righteousness. The message is clear. 
from Jesus that it's not enough just to clean up our act on the outside. In fact, can I say this kindly to you, politely to you? He's not at all impressed with or pleased with our attempts at it. If they're our attempts at it. Look what he says to the Pharisees. Now, I call these guys the professional fakers, okay? But Matthew chapter 23, verse 25, this is, this is a hard passage. Woe to you. Now, woe means what sorrow, what horror, what dread is coming to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And why would he call them that? Because you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgences. You blind Pharisees, first clean up the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, what sorrow and horror and dread is coming to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people, you hear that? You appear to people as righteous but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Listen to me, Jesus isn't after behavioral modification. Jesus' goal is heart transformation. Jesus' teaching isn't for the reformation of our actions, but the transformation of the hearts of sinners like you and me. That's what he's after. In fact, you wanna hear this? Jesus wouldn't be satisfied just to have a world without murder. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Wouldn't Jesus be happy if, if there were no more murders? No more murders on the earth. No, he would not be happy with that until we get to the place, unless people could get to the place where they stop hating each other. You've heard it said, the scripture says, you shall not murder, but I say you are in danger of judgment as a murderer if you hold anger in your heart. I didn't make that up. That's what the Bible says. John puts it this way. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer in his heart. What is Jesus after? Your actions, the outside, what's happening on the outside? No, he knows anybody can pretend. He's after what's on the inside, purity of heart. Jesus wouldn't be satisfied just to have a world without adultery. Well, how awesome would the world be if we didn't have adultery? It'd be awesome. But that's not, he wouldn't be satisfied with that unless people stop lusting after each other. He said these words, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, and see, that's the law, and that's what they were all hanging on to, and that's what the fairy saying, just as long as you don't commit adultery, then you're righteous. That is not true. Let me ask you this question that, that Paul asked in Ephesians chapter four. When is a liar no longer a liar? Well, when he stops lying, Right? As long as you don't lie anymore, then you're not a liar. It's not, you know, Paul says no. When you start speaking the truth, then we'll know. See, it's the fruit coming out, the fruit of righteousness coming out. Then we'll know that you're not a liar anymore. When is a thief no longer a thief? 
When he stops stealing, right? No, when he starts doing something useful with his hands and serving others and providing for others instead of grabbing for himself, then you know something has changed. You know something inside has changed. And now you can be confident that he's not a thief anymore. Just because he stopped stealing doesn't mean he doesn't have it in his heart to steal or that he's going to steal again. You get that? The heart is what Jesus is after. It's what we are deep inside in the secrecy. Right? In the secrecy of our thoughts and our feelings and our desires, the place that no one knows about but God. And you have that place and you know where it is. You actually have the key to the door that opens it. You know what corner of the room in your heart that exists, that place exists. And sometimes you go there and sit in the darkness. Come on, nod your head. No, seriously, nod your head. You know it's true. What we are, it's the place we are in the invisible place And that's what matters the most to the Lord Jesus. In in 1 Samuel um, 16, 7, it says, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the, come on, say it, on the heart. Actually, Solomon tells us that is out of the heart flows all the issues of life. And Jesus said it like this in Matthew 15, 18, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. Now just watch this. From out of the heart come evil thoughts. And he goes on with the list. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are the things that defile a person and what did he say they come from? They come from our hearts. Matthew 12, 33, Jesus says, either make a tree good and its fruit good or make a tree bad and its fruit bad. For the, true, the tree is known by its fruit. He goes on to say that the good that a man does is, comes from the good that he has stored up in his heart. The good, the bad that a man does comes from the bad that he has stored up in his heart. And then he goes on to say in verse 34, it is out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. You've heard it with all kinds of illustrations if you've been in church at all for any length of time, you know. Want to know what's inside a tube of toothpaste? You won't know until you squeeze it. Well, when you squeeze toothpaste, what do you think is going to come out of it? What if you squeeze toothpaste and raisins came out of it? You'd be like, what is this? Well, the answer would be somebody's been storing up raisins in the toothpaste tube. You know, I'm not, I don't even know why I'm saying this. Except that one time when I was on college tour, in a choir tour, we stayed at some people's house and the next morning I got up and I, we were, they had teenagers in the house. And I got up the next morning and I went to get my toothpaste 
and raisins came out of my toothpaste tube. <laughs> and the kids were snickering because during the night they had gotten all of our toothpaste tubes and stuck raisins in. They were storing up raisins in my toothpaste tube. And when I squeezed my, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have even gone there, but that's just what came to my mind. It's the Holy Spirit. You're seeing God right now working in this toothpaste tube. Just forget it, forget it. <laughs> A tree will bear good fruit or bad fruit. And Jesus' point is, if, if the tree bears bad fruit, it's not the fruit's fault. It's the root's fault. It's because you have planted those roots down in something that is not profitable and something that is not nutritional. And because of that, your tree bears bad fruit. If you want a tree to bear good fruit, you gotta take the roots and put it into good soil. And what Jesus is saying is that the reason bad comes out of people, the bad that comes out of people, the bad fruit that pops out on their life is a result of the bad that they have been storing up in their hearts. It's interesting that he uses the phrase, and out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Some of you have a mouth problem. You do. You're a slanderer, you're a slanderer, or you're cursing people, or you're, some of you have a bad a problem with your mouth. Your problem with your mouth isn't your mouth, it's your heart. And you have been storing up stuff to the point where it's overflowing and it's barfing out onto everybody else. It's the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The overflow of the heart, the life lives. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, if you wanna see God, purify your heart. The heart is crucial to Jesus. What we are down deep inside in the private recesses of our lives is what Jesus cares about the most. And he didn't come because he knows you've got some bad habits that he wants you to change or he wants to free you from. He came because Jeremiah 17, nine is true. That the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and I examine secret motives. We need to be pure in heart. So let's answer that question. What is it to be pure in heart? I came across this definition and love it. Okay, so let's just write it down. I think it's on the top of your notes. Purity in heart equals the desire to desire one thing. To desire one thing. That's what purity in heart is. Is set your focus in your heart and your desires on one thing. I love that definition. Especially as we're talking here. But I love that definition provided that the one thing is the glory of God. And that's what Jesus is after. David actually helps us with this in Psalm 24. If you want to jump there with me, you can. But let me show you this parallel passage. As Jesus often does, he'll say something that is the reflection of something that has happened in the Old Testament. So if this is a parallel passage to Proverbs or to Psalm 24, three, where Jesus says, who sh David says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? 
and who shall stand in his holy place? What he's asking is, who has access? Who has admission to God's presence? Who gets to approach God's throne? Who gets to see God? Here's the answer. It is he who has clean hands and a pure heart and who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. The first thing that we see as a result of a pure heart is that there is no deceit in a person who has a pure heart. Did you see it in the verse? Who does not lift his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. A pure heart is a heart that has no falsehood and has no pretense. This is what he was dealing with with the Pharisees because they were pretending to be righteous but they were acting out in horrible ways because of the inside of their heart. It is a heart that is transparent, is what a pure heart is, and truthful, free of deceitfulness. So if a pure heart is desiring one thing, deceit is what you are when you desire two things, not one thing, and this is what it is. It is when you do one thing, but you desire everybody else to think that you did another thing. Or when you feel one thing, you desire everybody to think that you're feeling another thing, that's called deceit. And that is not a pure heart. It's what the Pharisees were doing. But purity in heart is to desire one thing specifically, to seek the face of God and to serve him only instead of pretending that that is the one thing. You want everybody to think that you're righteous, you want everybody to think that that's the one thing that you're after, when really you're pursuing something else. Being purity, pure in heart is putting down your roots into righteousness, not just looking like you're putting down your roots in righteousness. Here's the second thing a pure heart is, is no double-mindedness. Jump over to James chapter four. We're gonna talk about this. And James says in James 4, 8, he says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Isn't that what we want? Is that the desire of your heart? You said it was earlier. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I wanna come close to you. I wanna be near you. Well, I'll come near you, Jesus, God says, if you'll wash your hands and purify your hearts, you, what's the words? You double-minded. What does that mean? <sighs> what James is describing, this double-minded, um, this is what you are when you aren't desiring the one thing, but you're desiring two things. Deceitfulness is desiring one thing and wanting everyone else to think you're desiring something else, but this is not desiring one thing, this is desiring two things. Here's how James described the double-minded person in James 4.4. 4. Are you okay so far? I'm gonna get hot a little bit right now, okay? Because this is, how, this is the language he uses. You adulterous people. You adulterous people. This is what double-mindedness is. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Who's he speaking to? Unsaved people? He's speaking to Christians. Don't you know that you can't be double-minded? Don't you know that you can't love the world and love God at the same time? 
If you do that, you actually become an enemy of God. Before we were saved, you guys, we were enemies of the Father, okay? We were children of the devil and enemies of God. Well, now with Jesus, we read earlier that Jesus makes us friends of God because he declares us righteous because of our faith. But if we turn around and become double-minded and go back to the things of the world, what do we become again? We put ourselves back in the place of an enemy of God. That's not his desire for us. The double-minded person has a heart that desires both the world and God, both their worldly, fleshly desires and God. They want their cake and eat it too. It's like a wife who has a boyfriend. How would that go over, men? Uh, Babe, I have a problem. You can't have a boyfriend. You're my wife. Oh, but you don't understand, Phil. He meets a need in some places you don't. And I need that need met, so you should be okay with that. No, I'm not okay with that. Sorry. Yeah, but he has a gift set that you don't have, and it really matches with mine. And so it's okay, it's okay, just relax. I'm still your, I'm still your wife. I'm still committed to you. I just have a boyfriend who meets my needs, and I, I need to go to him from time to time to get my needs met, to get my itch scratched. You okay with that, guys? Not at all. The answer is, uh, no. Not on my watch. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody get passionate about this, passionate about, no. Robin, no. <laughs> and I'm gonna take care of the boyfriend. There you go. Just because I love you so much. You can't have your roots in both and think that you'll be pure in heart. Purity of heart is to desire one thing, the full and total allegiance to God. Jesus described it like this in Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord your God with and, and. Why are you getting softer as we go? Keep, come on, start over. Love the Lord your God with and, and. And absolutely, which gives us the third thing that a pure heart has is no divided allegiance. Not with part of your heart, not with part of your soul, not with part of your mind or part of your strength, not with a divided heart. A divided heart, my friends, is an impure heart. Can I ask your advice on something? I just need your advice, because I, I have a bit of a dilemma. So I have a meeting this afternoon, and I thought it would be cool to bring brownies to the meeting. So I made a batch of brownies. Actually, I was making a batch of brownies yesterday, and I, was, I wanted to make them so I could say I made them. And I had the, bat, the, the, the batter ready to go, okay, and it was sitting there, but we were babysitting Wren, our granddaughter, she's a year and a half, and so she's still in diapers and everything, and she had a blowout. And so I'm like, Rob is like, Phil, it's bad, you gotta take this one. And I'm, 
I thought I was done with this, babe. You know, because just come on, it's no big deal. You can handle it, take care of it. So I'm like, I'm right in the middle of making brownies. Well, you can just figure it out. So I go over there, I change her, and it's a major blowout, and it's a drippy blowout. I just put it like that. And I, I come over, I come over, and I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I kind of swung around, and when I swung around, It was just a little bit. It was just, just a little bit of poo dripped into the batter. And, I'm like, and so I, I, I pulled it up and I sniffed it. I couldn't smell anything. And so I've been told that the solution to pollution is dilution. So I just stirred it in. So question... I went ahead and baked them. I can't smell any poo. I can't see any poo. Should I serve them or not? You won't taste it. You won't see it. They won't, the guys at the meeting won't even know. They'll be like, these are the best brownies I have ever. Phil, you made these? Yes, I made them with a little help from my friend. What would you do if I served it to you and you took a bite of it and then I told you the story? Are you okay with just a little poo in your brownie? Well, then why do we think that God would be okay with just a little poo in our hearts. And that's a problem. Because here's what we do. I mean, we like 99%, I'm all yours. 99%, I'm there. 99%, you got me. I just want to reserve the right to eat a little poo every once in a while. And that's what it is. The Bible is clear that the Lord detests double standards. He wants to vomit out of his mouth anything that is lukewarm, let alone has impurity in it. Purity of heart is what he's after. And purity of heart has no deception. It's not double-minded. And it does not have a divided allegiance. Purity of heart is the desire, is to desire the one thing. And that one thing is God's truth. And that one thing is God's glory in everything we do. And if you want to be pure in heart, then pursue God with single-mindedness. Desire the one thing. Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort, make every effort to be what? Holy, holy, how can I be holy? Well, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. One note's crazy is that he knows what we're like. 
He knows what's in our hearts. No one has to tell Jesus about what's in the heart of a man. He knows what's in the heart of a man. And woman. And child. And he, the standard that he sets for us, for holiness, for righteousness, for purity of heart, is be holy as no 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 he would not do that God would not do that God knows us too well it's basically be holy as Mike is holy be as holy as Larry is holy that's what the Pharisees were doing be holy as I am holy is what the Pharisees were saying and And what they were saying is, and I'm holier than Mike because if you'll notice, I'm over here with my gifts. I'm over here with my impressive prayers. I'm over here with all of my religion going on here in front of everybody. And Mike is not. Mike's a publican. So I want you to notice that I am more righteous than this publican, Mike, over here. You know what that's called? That's called comparing yourselves by yourselves with yourselves. And Paul says, you're an idiot if you do that. Because here's what it turns into. If your righteousness is based on whether you're a little bit more holy than somebody else, well then all you have to do is find somebody who's not as holy or righteous as you so that you can feel good about yourself and you can elevate yourself in everybody else's eyes. At least I'm not like Mike. But you know what Mike is doing? Mike's looking around in his world and saying, well, at least I'm not like Kevin. I'm more righteous than Kevin. And Kevin's going, well, who can I look around and see? And Well, I'm more righteous than Kathy. And Kathy's going, oh, okay, well, who can I look at? And you know, what the, you know what the standard for righteousness turns into? The most base person on the planet. Because you can always find somebody that you're better than. No, <laughs> that's not what God says. God says, you be holy as I am holy. That's not fair. Totally it is. This is the standard that you tried. Your attitude, Philippians 2, should be the same as that as Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? Who, Who can have the attitude of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Now, you... You can't, and God knows that. Well, then what are we going after here? We're going after a heart that is poor in spirit. I mean, I'm sharing the cry of the psalmist who says, "Who, who can cleanse their hearts? Like Paul who says, what is wrong with me? I am the chiefest of sinners. What is wrong with my heart? It is, it is a problem. My heart is a problem. And what Jesus is saying is, purify your heart. Well, how do I do that? You plant yourself 
into the word, the life-giving, nutritious word of God. You plant yourself and you submit yourself to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in your life and you let me and my word transform your life and transform your heart and it will change your behavior and you will be able to see God at work. Some of you aren't seeing God right now because you're living with one foot in the world or in the desires of your heart, the wicked, evil, old ways of your heart, and you're trying to live with the other foot in God's camp, in God's righteousness, and it will not work because you're quenching the Holy Spirit of God in your life. You're grieving the Holy Spirit of God in your life. Therefore, you're like, why can't I see God? It's because your heart is impure. Purify your heart. How do I do that? Because I can't do that. I'm out of time. I could go another hour just talking about this, but here's what I want you to know. You purify your heart by faith because you can't purify your heart. Jesus actually said it this way, with man it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God creates purity in our hearts. The book of Acts tells us that and gives us the ability to pursue and desire purity. We have to pray. We have to have our feet in the word of God every single day and let the word of God purify and wash us clean and purify our hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And then we need to pray our heads off like David. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You do the work, Lord. I'll submit myself to you. God is the one, the scripture says, that purifies our hearts and the instrument with which he cleans it is faith. Therefore, trust the Lord to do the work with all your heart, with all your heart. Give him your whole heart. Not a deceitful heart. Not, don't pretend. Don't be a hypocrite. Not a divided heart. Give him your whole heart. Desire this one thing. And Jesus promised, you will see God. Wow. Let's stand together. And would you just um, bow your heads in in a time of reflection right now, okay? So um, where are your roots? That's what I want to ask you. Where are your roots? What are they planted in? What have you been storing up in your heart all week? Do you want to see God? really want to see him? Do you really want to see God move? Do you really want to see God alive and active in your life? And Jesus said, purify your heart. And here's, here's the thing. If you, if you have had a divided heart this week or you have been deceitful with your heart this week, if you have been um, dabbling in the, the poo a little bit this week, you got to confess that. 
That's how you purify your heart. You come before the Lord and you confess it. You call it what it is, you name it, and then you forget it and you leave it and you turn from it. You repent and turn from your wicked ways. And some of us need to do that today. Right now, you need to say to the Lord, I know what that thing is, I know what those things are, and I'm confessing that to you, and I'm turning this back to you. And the promise is that if you confess your sin, he will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from that unrighteousness and give you a pure heart so that you can see him. As you're thinking about that, there are some in this room, and there are some joining us online somewhere, wherever you are, and you know that you cannot see God because you have not given your heart to the Lord by faith. You have not come to a place where you are poor in spirit and have humbled yourself and have admitted that you are a sinner and that you are desperately in need of a savior and have repented of your sins and made Christ the Lord of your life and received his gift of salvation. If you want to see God, you have to come to him on your knees by faith, accepting his gift of salvation in order to find admission into God's presence to be able to see him. I offer you that salvation today. God is offering you that salvation today. The Holy Spirit's working on your heart right now with that message. You can be saved today and you can see God for the first time. Lord, <clears throat> we offer our hearts to you and we all need work. I know everyone in the room is agreeing with me right now. We all need work. We all are broken. And you know that we need your help. We want to see you, this congregation of people, every one of them, Lord, every one of us saying at the beginning of this message, Open the eyes of our hearts. We want to see you. We all want to see you. We want to see you at work. We're living in some of the most amazing, exciting times to be alive as people of the kingdom. And we want to see you move in us and move through us as a congregation and as individuals in our world out there. We want to see you transform lives because of our testimony but we will never be used in that way if we're continuing to dabble in our sin. So help us to purify our hearts afresh and anew today and walk in that newness and walk in that freedom and then move through us so that we can see you at work. Give us the courage and the strength and the humility to admit it and to forsake it so that we can see you and show yourself to us. Draw near to us, Lord, as we draw near to you and bless us in it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you. If you need help with anything, we've got a prayer team down here. We would love to talk to you about your need. If you want Jesus Christ, we'd love to share Jesus with you. God bless you as you go, and we'll see you.